Blog Talk Radio. Just a little more time is all we're asking for. Cause just a little more time could open closing doors. Just a little uncertainty can bring you down. Good evening and welcome back to the Never Give Up Show. I am Bailey Smith, your host. This is my 82nd podcast and I'm glad to be live. I'm sorry it hasn't been a weekly thing, just a lot going on, um, but I am definitely glad to be back. I hope our guest makes it on. Um They're from out of the U.S. Actually, I believe she's here. Um, I'm going to introduce her, and then I will bring her on. So, um, first of all, um, our call-in number is 563-999-3044. Again, we're on blogtalkradio.com slash the Never Give Up show. Um, this show will be uploaded to my website um, after, as soon as the show is over, um, that nevergiveupshow.com, which is Buzzsprouts on Buzzsprouts. And then all the other platforms, it will also be uploaded to SoundCloud. Um, and I will post that wherever the show is posted. So um, without further ado, um, Tonight's guest is Lisa Sunny, and, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right or not, and I apologize. Um, she is a certified relationship coach specializing in trauma bond recovery. Having survived abuse and domestic assault, she has transformed her own experience into a driving force for helping others, and boy, has she. I, and we will get to that. With four published books, and her renowned online course, the Trauma Bond Recovery Course, Lisa's influence as stronger than before extends to nearly a million followers across various social media platforms. Through personalized one-on-one coaching and informative webinars, she empowers individuals from diverse backgrounds to break free from traumatic partnerships and embark on a journey of healing and resilience. And all her information is um, on the show link, um, her books, her website, all the show, all the courses that she does. Um, I just want to, before I bring her on, I found her on Instagram, seeing one of her reels that she did, or TikToks or whatever it was. And I have to tell you, She's the most real, you know, I reach out to many people. And, you know, some people I actually have had on my show um, before they became who they became. And when I've gone back to them, 
for help and certain things when I was writing my book, they were too busy. So when I meet someone who actually responds to me, um, which she did, it took me time, took me time to actually email her, but she had given me her email right away. So when I meet people that are real um, and honest and just straight up there, those are the kind of people I connect and make connections with. And usually it stays that way. Um, like my friend Marianne Petri. Um, so, you know, her, her content, content is incredible. And she, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm going to bring her on. Um, one second. Welcome, Lisa. Hi. How did I mess up your Hello. last name? Did I mess up your Sunny. last name? Lisa Sunny. Sunny. Okay, so I didn't really. Well, welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And again, I hope you heard what I said just a couple of seconds ago, how I appreciate when people that are large, larger on social media, um, actually respond to little people like me um, and don't think (laughs) – that they're, you know, I mean, you know, the the this these great people that you know they can't respond to to others because at 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 one point or another somebody helped you get to where you were or brought you out there or whatever or your followers got you to where you are, um, and giving back. I believe very much in giving back, and I've created a humongous network of of people that are have a tremendous amount of, you know, followers and, and, and big people who've written books and all kinds. And we stay connected and, you know, we are there for each other. So anyways, welcome. Um, Thank you. And you, I think you might have missed part of um, my introduction, but I basically, you know, spoke about um, you being a certified relationship coach and, trauma bond recovery and I, I really until you sent me that email I did not realize all the different things that you did um I didn't even realize you were an author I just love watching your 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 reels on uh Instagram how you're putting on your makeup and you're talking um I, I love real people because unfortunately you know when you go through domestic abuse narcissistic abuse everybody's fake, you know, you meet so many fake people. So when you come, when you book on your healing journey and you come across real people, it's far and few in between. So thank you for responding to my message and being here tonight. So no problem. My, my pleasure. The floor is yours. <laughs> the floor is all yours. If you want to start with, from the beginning, we have plenty of time. From where you started to where you are now, how you got to where you are now, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I used to think my story was unique until years of, of working with people and, and, you know, speaking with people online and realizing that we sadly are all part of this horrible club that we never wanted to be part of. Um, mm-hmm. I was in a relationship for 10 years that turned out to be abusive. I think I was 
one of the many um, victims of abuse that didn't realize that it was abuse. I mm-hmm. had really only seen abuse as a stereotypical sort of physical abuser, you know, and, and very cliche sort of woman from a certain background. And it just, I always had it, is it, it couldn't be me. I didn't look down on people that it happened to. I had nothing but compassion, but it just wasn't me. And of course, like many of us, we learn that we don't know what we, what we, or we, we don't know what we should know about abusive relationships and how it can be emotional and psychological and impact you and how you cannot know what it is. There's so much nuance um, that I've learned since. Um, but we met and it was like so many people to say the same story, right? We fall in love, soulmate connection, everything felt perfect. Yep. Um, yep. Madly in love, a soulmate connection, all the most cliche parts of the beginning of mm-hmm. these relationships. And of course, looking back, love bombing, right? But at the time, it was just yep. falling in love. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I experienced, um, you know, looking back, emotional and psychological and verbal abuse for the first seven years. And then I went from a very extreme situation. It went from yelling to strangulation while I was pregnant. It took such a jump. And I've learned that that's not particularly unique. So many people feel that, you know, he's just emotionally abusive. He or she is just emotionally abusive. And you never think, especially after such an extended period of time with no physical abuse, you think, He'll never get to the next level. It'll never be that bad. And I think a lot of people also think that, you know, they almost wish, I wish he would just hit me because then I would leave. Mm -hmm. I wish he would just cheat on me because Mm -hmm. then I would leave. And the truth is, is that it really doesn't change anything and that you're still just as likely to stay, whether there's physical abuse or not. Um, In fairness, it's the psychological abuse that really keeps you. Um, So I felt trapped. And at that time, I was pregnant with my second child, and so it didn't seem reasonable to leave. And of course, with narcissistic abuse, you're being gaslit and deceived so much about who the person is. You're experiencing such intense cognitive dissonance. You don't see what's really happening in front of you. So leaving doesn't even feel like an option. It feels like you're being a little bit ridiculous. And, you know, he didn't strangle you. He just choked you just a little bit because he was angry and he was drunk. So it made sense. You rationalize all the behavior. And one day you just find yourself in the worst possible situation. Two years, almost two years after the strangulation, there was another incident of abuse that was far more uh, dangerous in all honesty. I mean, and strangulation is particularly dangerous, but far more dangerous to me. File charges. I didn't file charges. No, not the first time and not the second Mm -hmm. time. Later, I did, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. and then you know, and it took more, in fact, to get there. Why don't people call the police, mm-hmm. right? And there's actually so many reasons you couldn't even cover them all. My reason was not wanting to ruin his life, mm-hmm. and it's it's so strange to me looking back because ultimately, what we can obviously mm-hmm. see when you're out is you're not ruining his life; he's ruining his life. He made these decisions, yes. but you feel like you mm-hmm. you. You feel like not not possibly you feel like you deserved it. I didn't feel like I deserved it. I felt like I contributed to it. If I had just said different things, if I had just not been mouthy, if I had just not been so disrespectful, I, then maybe it wouldn't have happened. So you're, you're still sort of mm-hmm. blaming yourself for causing it at least a little bit. 
you know, I I went through twenty years of 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 uh, mental verbal course of control. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot, he had major anger issues. You know, people saw things. First of all, I was very young when I met him. I was twenty. He was older. And um and you know, I was a perfect victim. Naive, young. And uh, like you said, we fall in love, this soulmate, they're you know, this grandiose person, charmer. And after you know, there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of breaking things. If he pushed me here or there, you know, it wasn't often. But mm-hmm. when he when we were when he walked out after a month after our twentieth anniversary, and I would have taken him back probably. He was cheating on me, very very openly. It was all over social media. Um, I was blocked. I couldn't see it. My kids saw it. But when he walked one day, after a few weeks, and ended up beating the crap out of me, and talk about not calling the police. My son, my middle son, was home. And broke down the door, and um, pulled him off of me, because he probably would have killed me. He would have probably strangled me. Um, when the police, I made my son leave the house, but he had also called his brother at school, and his brother took a, was on his way home with from an Uber, and um, and he called the police. So the police got two phone calls from two kids. I mean, they were teenagers. And I refused, I said, um, I, I reserve the right to, to speak at a later time because I was in such shock. So, you know, people can't, unjust, people don't understand. It's like all of a sudden, out of the blue, because they snapped. This is one of the messages I try to get across, is that these people... These monsters, these evil, whatever you want to call them, they will snap. They can have personality. They could be the charm. They, whatever, you know, they do snap. And that's especially during post-separation when they know that they may lose you. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. Okay. The, the, one of the scariest times, of course, right, is when when you're about to leave. Mm-hmm. They sense it in in some cases, and then things get worse. So it's you know even even you know the thing that I always want to highlight with how you know there was no physical abuse for seven years is you get comfortable and you think they're not going to do it, but you should really treat all forms of abuse as life threatening. Mm-hmm. So. There was this incident, um, which I, I refer to as the worst incident, where, you know, there's a trigger warning. <laughs> um, I declined intimacy due to him being drunk and aggravating me all day and me, mm-hmm. you know, doing everything with the kids. And it was, a, it was a holiday, so I was, it was extra busy and extra frustrated. And when we arrived home from a family member's house, he was interested and I was not interested and it led mm-hmm. to him throwing me into the house, up a staircase, through a baby gate, slamming my head into the sink repeatedly into a stainless steel sink 
And my son was at the top oh. of the stairs. He was three. He didn't see, but he heard, and he remembers. And he's nearly oh. seven, and he still every so often remembers and will, will ask something. And I have always found it very difficult to answer and engage with him about that because you wish you could protect your kids more mm-hmm. and, and have them not know what happened. Um, but it, the truth is, is that when they've seen it, right, I'm not saying um, mm-hmm. go out of your way to discuss it with a child, but if, it, if they saw it, if they heard it, if they have questions, mm-hmm. you can't skirt past it and pretend it didn't happen because it teaches them to sweep problems under the rug and to not speak and that you, it's a private it also becomes their tra- It also becomes their trauma. It mm-hmm. becomes their trauma that they try to suppress that will come out when they're, in, when they're older. Mm-hmm. Right? It'll so, end up being yeah, their child's trauma. Exactly. It is so important to validate as much as you are able. And, you know, again, age-appropriate, Honesty is, is my mm-hmm. motto. You don't tell them more than they can mm-hmm. handle, and you don't add anything that they didn't see because, again, you're not wanting to involve them in adult conflict or things that they're not able to understand, but you go based on their age, what they've seen, what they know. So at the time, I was definitely not thinking of any of these things, of course, but um, the, the incident was absolutely terrifying. Um, I, guess, I guess I was lucky in that he just stopped hitting my head. He just stopped. And I ran out of the house barefoot, screaming and crying. Um, I left my children behind, which when I've told that story, um, I've received judgment from from some, many, um, on the fact that I left my children behind. And I think for people that have been through it, you're not thinking logically in the moment. And also, Mm-mm. I was not ever concerned that he would be physically abusive to the children. They were upstairs. But I knew that if I stayed my life was over. So I ran. And I guess, you know, it's partly a long story and a lot of the details don't matter, but someone um, helped me that night. And he's a, a family friend. And I'm so grateful that he was there and able to help keep me safe. I did not leave and I did not call the police. Um, <gasps> and, and I actually didn't even get an apology. It, you know, I really anticipated the next day that he would be profusely apologetic. And instead, I was met with a very, again, what you, what you come to learn is a very cliche narcissistic response, which is, you deserved it. Um, that's not what happened. You're exaggerating the details. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's strange because, well, it's not strange if you know narcissists, but how the, the excuse was that he was blackout drunk, but simultaneously, he remembered exactly what happened. And my version was completely not true even though he had also in the same mm-hmm. breath said that he was blackout drunk. So contradictory mm-hmm. stories, mm-hmm. <laughs> not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried to stay mm-hmm. and I tried to reconcile. I tried to cope with what had happened and accept what had happened and, it, you know, what, what we often try to do. And so um, mm-hmm. I stayed for months, but ultimately things started to deteriorate. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until we ended up in couples counseling that it was really brought to my attention that this is abuse. Um, our couples counselor ended up having to contact um, Children's Aid to report mm-hmm. what had been happening because although the children were not directly being physically abused, they were mm-hmm. experiencing emotional abuse from witnessing what was happening. Mm-hmm. So she contacted Children's Aid, and it, that's what led me to call the police. Children's Aid explained to me, and this is such a unique and frustrating thing that so many of us can relate to, 
is it was made clear to me that if I continued to, quote, Mm -hmm. allow myself to be abused, that I was risking having my children taken from me for not protecting Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I press charges. He gets off on all charges because there's no evidence that it happened, and yet I was at risk of losing my children just based on the claim that it happened. But he was never... You never kept pictures or anything. No, because, you know, I mean, in fairness, the pictures would have been at the back of my hair. Mm. There, there from were no all the time in that sense. Mm-hmm. From all yeah, the time prior, um, you never you never thought to take pictures. No, absolutely never even mm. occurred to me to take pictures. Um, it wouldn't have shown much, you know. I mean, people pictures if it if it clearly shows something and it sort of um, corroborates a story that you're telling. But in my case, you know. Mm. A bruise, potentially a bruise on the back of my head. You know, there was no blood. Um, Even from from strangulation, there was no marks. So it never, I don't think photos would have helped me in any any case. Um, But so I had a restraining order. We split up. um, And then we continued to break the restraining order. (laughs) And more abuse continued to happen. Um, When we were in marriage counseling, um, when we were, were, you know, doing our couple's work, he he would come into the house in the middle of the night and he had moved out at that point. He had he would come in at, you know, midnight, two AM, drunk, stand over my bed, scream at me for sleeping. <gasps> like, how dare you sleep? You how how would you sleep in the bed that I pay for? And in fairness, I work full time. I was making two and a half times his income. Very much, you know, mm-hmm. he was—he owned a, a business that was floundering. I was very much the mm-hmm. breadwinner. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the mattress might have been his, but, you know, the home was very mm-hmm. much ours. Um, so it was, it was baffling to me that there was this anger of, like, me getting to sleep. He had chosen to leave. In fairness, at that time, I hadn't asked him to leave. I should have, but I didn't. And he was angry that I was sleeping, angry that I had the audacity to just lay there in bed when he was miserable and choosing to not be home. But didn't you have a restraining order or it was broken? Well, we broke the restraining order so many times. And I never contacted the police about that. And you weren't scared of losing your kids by letting him into the house? Well, the order did not protect my children. The order did not protect my children. It protected me only. <laughs> and then you have the flip side of family court of if you're withholding access from a parent without real reason to. And despite everything I've described, we see that as a real reason, right. but we know that family court does not. Right. So, they're, you know, right. so he, he was you, constantly you, threatening. You, so, CP, so CPS basically told you if if you continue to stay, we're going to take your kids. But they didn't give you an order of protection to protect your kids, so he was allowed to be around your kids because he wasn't technically a danger to your kids, only a danger to you, but they'll take your kids if you allow him to continue to stay. But So he's allowed to be around them, just not around you. It's so friggin' backwards. 
And it, it is so, so bad. Like when you really, the way you put it is perfect. It's exactly as stupid as you just made it sound. It's the stupidest thing. Because I, I, it do, is so... I do court watching. So, yeah, I, I see I see how crazy it is. So corrupted. Yeah. So corrupted. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. But it's very much a reality. Like and, you know, I mean, yeah. 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 just people talk Go about on. the bias right. in, in family court, right? The, the, the bias against men right. for women. It's just not my experience. I'm, I'm, it's just no. not my, I don't see that bias. I see, I see for and, men and, and against victims. So while, while you brought up that topic, I have Marion Petrie. Do you know who she is? No. Okay. She wrote a book. She'll tell you about it. And it's actually starting to be filmed in Canada. Um, she'll tell you about it. She's um, an incredible woman. She wrote actually a little piece in my book because I thank God didn't have to deal with family court. And if you read my, finish my book, you'll, you'll see what happened. But I'm going to bring her on quickly because she went to family court. Hey girl. How are you? Hello. Hello. Good. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm good. Long time to speak. Yeah, really? (laughs) Um, thank you. Have for you ever seen any of Lisa's? Have you ever seen any of Lisa's stuff? What 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 do you go by? Um, um, relationship recovery on um, on Lisa on um, Instagram. Stronger than before. I think oh, I've seen the screen name is stronger than before. Yeah, okay. she has some incredible. But Marianne could tell you uh, just quickly. Tell tell her, you know, how, very quickly, you know. What oh happened, well, I mean, how it went into. Uh, go ahead. No, just tell her very quickly what ha- that that your ex got the kids, or whatever in the end. Oh, right. Um, I didn't even bring up abuse because. Um, even though he was abusive, uh, I just didn't think to bring it up, but he still took the kids, uh, based on the, the attorney was BFFs with the judge and they had worked with each other for like years in the DA's department. So all of this is all connected. And the issue is as of late, and I don't know what year this started, but they just started handing over kids to the fathers. Now, fathers' rights won't buy this, and they still think they're, you know, having their kids taken away from them. But the new trend, I had uh, Brian Bukadinovich speak on my podcast Saturday, and he even said that they are taking kids away from mothers and giving them to the abusers. And these guys don't even want these kids. And even my ex, when he got the kids, he dumped them off at his mother's. He dumped them off on his his wife who worked in a courthouse. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is all backwards. It really is Tell so about backwards. Your book. And that's interesting. Oh, yeah, go on. Yeah. Marianne wrote a book and... Oh yeah. Well, I, I wrote I wrote everything in the book um, because he did raise his fist to me and he did raise the knife to me, and he was verbally abusive. And I just thought, well, I don't want my kids picking up these bad behaviors, so that's why I left. 
And um, he got even with me in the courtroom. Based on his wife working in the courthouse, she knew what judge to pick and what attorney to pick. And um, the reason why I I left was Oprah. If it wasn't for Oprah, I wouldn't be where I am today Uh, because she had Ilyana Van Zanten on, and she gave some really good advice. And then my ex told me he had this dream he murdered me, and then I knew it was time to leave. (laughs) So, yeah. It's uh, you know, and people say, well, you know, well, you had all these kids with them, and it's like, well, it was a roller coaster. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he was horrible all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're naive, you're not. You know, they could be verbally abusive and, you know, have bouts of anger, anger, poor temper control, throwing heavy objects. Not maybe not at you, mm-hmm. but just throwing them across the room. Mm-hmm. And when if you're young and naive, you're like, oh well, he's having a bad day. But we got to stop making mm-hmm. excuses for these people. And when you said about you know your your three year old hearing these things, um, you know, it made me think because I never thought of it before. But maybe that's why my middle one had anger issues as um as a middle schooler and I did get him help for that, which did help, but I never realized upon hearing you know whatever he heard, maybe that's what caused him to have anger issues. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So Marianne wrote a book called Dismantling Family Court Corruption and God willing it's going to be on the screen. What do you say, yeah. a year in 2024? Yes. Um, and it's not going to be me. It's not going to be my story. It's going to be based right. on my story, you know. And um, because my producer, he is an, he he's a disenfranchised grandfather. He doesn't get to see his four grandchildren. And um, so he wants to bring to light what really goes on in these courtrooms. Which will be good, yeah. because a lot of people are still naive. And, yeah, he's a great yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people think that it's all fair in there. They don't realize it's crazy in there. I just reported a judge today from court watching yesterday. You're so you know, good about um, doing that. I'm so bad about. I, I did a court watch today that I've been watching in my Miami so bad, and I didn't even mm-hmm. write my notes I'm supposed to write. You know, you're so good about it. So, um, oh well, thank you. I just, you know, um, the person printed out the, you know, the uh, sheet you're supposed to fill out and sent it to me. So I just did that. Then I had it notarized. And I mailed it, and I sent it in. I kept the original. But, yeah, I mean, if if we don't start um, reporting right. these people, and when I had Brian Vukadinovich on, he had solutions. Instead of talking about it, what are we going to do, he actually had solutions, right. which I was really impressed I with him. I have to watch it. I'll watch your podcast. So oh, I'm going to mute what, you so I we can I'm go back. Sure. Yeah. I'm sorry, go on, what were you going to say? Oh, oh, I was going to say, I don't want to force it on you, but he had the solution. <laughs> so. I'm going to watch it. 
Um, and we have somebody else that called in. If you don't mind holding a little bit longer, I want to go back to Lisa because I interrupted her. Um, go back. We're back to you, Lisa. Um, no, yeah, that was a good, good uh, cut in there because it's you know my my experience was definitely um, you know it it felt very unfair the whole way through and you know on the note of like men's rights activists and so on. I know that the the what the the myth that is very very prevalent is that men lose and women win and that there's this bias that women Mm-mm. just get the kids or that men have to fight to see their children and there's so many women Mm-mm. just you know slewing out all these Mm-mm. false allegations when false allegations are rare and men who actually ask for their children in court actually get their children but what's been proven is it's you know 80 something percent I always forget the number but of of men who ask for 50 or more percent of custody generally get it. The issue is they're just handing custody over on consent outside of court. So, you know, I don't think there's any unfairness there, certainly. And I think that the unfairness of the rare circumstances where a man has truly not been abusive at all, not a matter of what he thinks is abusive, but is, has, you know, the men who truly have not been abusive that are fighting for their children, that is unfair. I agree. But it's also unfair that victims of any gender have to fight to protect their children so hard against an abuser, particularly where there's evidence. I, I think it's mm-hmm. tricky when people get into this idea that you should just believe survivors blindly. I don't actually agree with that. Only be, it, when I'm talking about from a legal perspective, not from a, an emotional mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. From a legal perspective, right. you just can't because a narcissist can go in and claim abuse. So, you, you know, I'm, I'm for mm-hmm. evidence from a family court perspective. Um, and I actually work with an excellent um, divorce coach that I met online. We've become friends, so I, I refer her quite often. She teaches people how to structure your case so that you're not in there, you know, mm-hmm. just blindly claiming abuse, but how to demonstrate it, how to communicate and focus on what matters because proving abuse right. often doesn't matter in court, which is unfair, but it, yeah. if it doesn't, if it's not going to help you, if right. proving it doesn't help you get your kids, don't waste too much time on that. Right. That was kind of her right. mentality. And the minute you start to, the, the minute you start to claim sexual abuse or domestic violence, you, you automatically are on the, on the shit side, you know, they really, um, they, they they totally, the whole team turns on you. And um, I Mm -hmm. I see such horrific things and I can watch it because I didn't go through it. So it's not a trigger for me. So, you know, um, but it's, it's, it's really, it's real bad. I mean, the whole entire, it's, it's, look, it's got government funded. unfortunately and and how do you the only way to break this down is to get the public to, to see what's going on it's the whole family court part of of this stuff um you know mm-hmm. let's get back to where, wherever you stopped i'm sorry and i want to bring marianne because her her story will probably god willing be the first court story um, on the big screen. I know we're having a lot of Netflix documentaries that are being put out there and I I love them 
Um, I, I know the, the new that new movie, Sound of Freedom, I didn't get to watch it yet. That's about sex trafficking. But her her story is going to be the first, God willing, family court. So it's going to open the eyes of a lot of people who live in a bubble. And trust me, yeah, there are, there are a lot of people that, that live in a bubble. I mean, I have, I've had, you know, I'm Jewish and religious, and I have tried to gear my book in all that coming from all directions because I'm trying to show these people this really happened. I said, well, don't you see the text, the pictures, the emails? That's why I put that all in there. They couldn't, they were shocked. I was like, this is happening to your next door neighbor. That's so, like, I just wanted to say one one more thing. And I, and I try to bring this up with regarding men. Men that truly love their children and they're not abusive. They may be angry at their wife or wanting a divorce or who, whatever the situation is, but if they truly love their kids, which I know many because I, I have a, a big, huge crew on, on Facebook and we're all there for each other. Um, they will not take children away from their mother. This is what, what, what amazes me is that, that that just proves the corruption and, and how much money it's an $80 billion a year business um, family court is because if you think about it logically, men that love their children more than they hate their wife or more than being upset with their wife or the, the whole divorce scenario are going to want their children to be with their mom as much as they can, especially if their mom was a stay-at-home mom and and took care of them more than they did. So you have to look at it like if this man is fighting so much for his for his kid and wants to take them away from the woman that carried them for nine months, and nobody could break that kind of bond and nurse them or whatever and cared for them, you want to take that child away, something's wrong. But nobody, the the courts don't want to see that because it's a money business for them. It's, It's criminal, organized criminal, whatever you want to call it. So this yeah, is this is another organized point. crime. I've heard it referred to as. Yeah, yeah. It's this is what I I I also mention in my book because you love you love your children. You're gonna do what's right by your children, unless the mother's abusive. You know there are there of are a, a many abusive women. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on. Yes. Um. Right, so we were breaching the order. Um, that's where kind of where I left off. We, you know, Children's Aid had already been mm-hmm. involved. The case was open and closed. Closed in the sense of, like, I said I left. So closed in their eyes. And so we continued to discuss reconciliation, living apart, talking about it. And we we had made some plans. He approached me and made some plans about the future, talking about the following year, let's get back together and, you know, take a few more months apart. He wanted to go move to another country for a few months and do some consulting work and then come back. And I said to him, I would consider it only if he'd go to therapy, stop doing drugs, stop drinking, all this stuff. I had all these, these 
you know, the list of things that mm-hmm. they can do to get you back mm-hmm. that we often just give them. And he agreed to everything. And a few days later, mm-hmm. the police phoned me and asked me to stop harassing my partner's girlfriend, which was oh, the first time God. I heard that he had a girlfriend. <laughs> And he used the police, the police to communicate that to me, right? And I think, again, looking back, it's such a narcissistic thing to do, right, to mm-hmm. weaponize mm-hmm. a third-party agency, a government agency, to sort of blindside you in such an intense way. Not only are you finding out that this is the case, you're finding out from a police officer who's contacting you regarding, like, criminal harassment charges. And I'm thinking, how could I harass a person I have never heard of? Absolutely mm-hmm. shocking. And it was truly in that what moment. What kind of proof did they have? What kind of proof? So, so there did was they no have? proof, right? They weren't laying charges. They were making a phone call to ask me to stop harassing her because if I continued, it would be considered criminal harassment. No proof, because that's my first question was: Could you tell me specifically what? Like, what are you even talking about? And it was it was not disclosed to me what the specifics were. Hence, there were no charges being laid. It was more of a, a courtesy call. I come to find out that depending on the police department. And so I don't live in a small town by any means, but, um, you know, they will make a phone call and they will ask you to stop upsetting the other person, just hopefully that a a police call would help. Completely shocked. And of Mm -hmm. course, my response was, you know, I'm assuming you've pulled up my name. Yes. Well, then you can see my anything connected to me via the police. Yes. So you see that there are charges of uttering threats and assault and like you see these charges right it was it blew my mind so that was the end of it for me truly within two weeks I said I'm, I'm genuinely not interested in anything no discussion no moving forward I will not I, I was still very much trauma bonded but I, I was unwilling to mm-hmm. discuss getting mm-hmm. back together it was absolutely over and so I moved on I moved out I you know, sold the house, got a new apartment, all that, and started to move on. And that sort of is when the post-separation abuse really started. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, it's like you want to say that's the end, and then everything was great, but no. Um, So the post-separation abuse started. And in in fairness, in summary, it was was so terrible. I mean, I would argue being in it was worse, for clarity. It was was terrible, but Mm. being in it was a million times worse. It's worth every mm-hmm. every ounce of energy to get yourself out. But I had like 11 children's aid reports, so like CPS, CAS, they're called different things in different places, but um, 11 nice. visits relatively quickly, like within that first year, I had 11 visits um, that were all false claims made. I had multiple mm-hmm. police um, situations coming to do welfare checks on the children at all hours of the night. Um, one was even actually I was hosting a live webinar one night and the police came right when I was hosting the oh event and, and refused <laughs> to leave until I came out of my office. Um, my, my partner answered the door and was just sort of explaining like, I mean, technically she's home, but <laughs> it's not a good time. Um, and they just said, well, like tell her to get off, which absolutely not. I said, mm-hmm. no. Um, I just made them wait too bad. I, mean, I still had about 40 minutes left. <laughs> whoops. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Good. but I understand it was a welfare check. So I understand, again, the importance of them checking, but sort of at what point do you recognize the maliciousness of these phone calls? Children's aid noticed mm-hmm. very quickly. The police noticed less quickly. 
um, but also came to that mm-hmm. conclusion and sort of giving me advice. I was getting advice from third parties. Every time they interacted with him, they would come back to me and be like, so you're still being abused. Here's what you can do to protect yourself. Um, and at one point, I opened a voluntary case with Children's Aid, which invited them into my home over the course of a year in order to maintain the same social worker. And her point was that if you keep the case open, I'll write down every month what's happening. And she Mm -hmm. said, ultimately, what's happening is you are a perfectly excellent mother. So you're going to have a year's worth of third-party notes to prove that you are not the problem. If if you are, and then if they make if they make so many false claims, even though if they if they're anonymous, there's so many of them. First of all, an anonymous or false, uh, whatever, uh, what's it called there? C C what? C A S. Here it's called C A S. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's it's a crime. Well, in Florida and. You know, in most states, it's a crime. Um, and they ha- if they do it multiple times and they do it from an unknown number, I found out that they can track it if the case is still opened. There's a way for them to track it because it happened to me um, just a couple of years ago um, when we were already divorced. Um, so, but it's really sad, you know, that they never do anything, and that's why they get to get away with with keep keep on doing it. It is a felon. It could be a felony. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unbelievable, and and they didn't yeah. press charges against them for for filing false reports. No, nope. Um, I, I imagine you know possibly maybe eventually, um, but for me you know after multiple not even the 11 that I'm talking about. I had just had a handful of children's aid reports. I had a handful of police showing up at my door having to explain to a, to a how old were they at the time, I guess, two- and four-year-old, um, why mommy's friends with the police, right, because the police are here so often. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And at one point, the police were talking about how they came because, and they said my ex's name in my living room and said because he named him, called and my son heard and was like, why would he call? And I was like, oh, he just wants to make sure we're safe. Um, mm. What do you say? You know, um, I know what you want to say. Right. But I'm, I'm so passionately opposed to involving the children in any of this. Um, I go out of my way mm-hmm. to protect them. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just, it's nonstop. It's just nonstop. It just never ends. Um, but, you know, Again, getting out is still the absolute most important thing. Throughout all of this, I'm also, you know, in the beginning stages of it when I was still going back and talking about reconciliation and even after I said I made that decision, I'm done. I'm done doesn't mean poof, the trauma bond's broken, right? I'm still crying every day. I'm still like desperately Mm. missing him and also hating him and then hating myself for missing him, the usual feelings. Um, And then coping with the guilt of, you know, I'm – in many ways, preventing access, but for for valid reasons of of safety concerns due to drugs and alcohol and violence and the stories. Like, I, I mean, I have found like MDMA in a plastic bag in my children's car seats. I've been assaulted in front of them. I've been chased in front of them. I've had my head slammed into a steering wheel. I've mm-hmm, so many things have mm-hmm. happened in front of them, and it just 
you know, I'm trying so hard to just get past what happened and, and just move on and, and get healed and get over it. Um, I borrowed money for rent. I borrowed money for therapy and I just powered through. And this is actually the stage of when I started talking about my story online, which sparked people following me because I was talking about what happened, I guess, what I'm told in a relatable way. And people just started following and, you know, you get, you think nobody's going to watch so your stuff is, and then all of a sudden. This is, fre- is this still fresh? Um, I'm, it's three, like it's, three and a half years at this point. Been out for three and a half years. So not too, too fresh. Okay. I suppose that's relative, okay. but, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, and I, so I started now two and a half years ago, um, talking about my story on TikTok and then, you know, I moved mm-hmm. on to other platforms and my focus I chose my focus to be specifically trauma bond recovery rather than just, Mm -hmm. you know, how to leave. Mm -hmm. But when you're specifically in the trauma bond, and not every victim is in one, I have a free quiz on my website called Are You Trauma Bonded? It's a two-minute quiz. It takes, Mm -hmm. you know, no time at all, 16 questions, and it gives you an instant answer. So you can find out if it is a trauma bond. If it's not a trauma bond, it means you're not so addicted to it, but it doesn't mean it's easy to leave for clarity. But a trauma bond is just mm-hmm. unbelievable to break, right? It just feels like yep. dying. That's a dependent trauma bond. Yep. Um, yeah. We have another caller. If you don't mind, I'm going to stop you here yeah. for one second. I want to give out our number, 563-999-3044, if you want to join us. I do not know who this is. I did not bet the call, so I'm going to bring them on. Hi, welcome. Is that me? Is it me? Yes, Sally? that's you. Oh, hi. Yes, who's hi, this? It's Elaine. Hi, it's Elaine McMahon. Hi, how are you? Oh, hey, Elaine. How Hello. are you? Elaine's just on hi, my show recently. Yes and, if, yes, and if Marianne is still on, I don't know. Hi, Marianne also. She is. Um, she's on. She's just okay. muted. Yeah, hi, Marianne. And, um, any, hello. Um, any guests? Uh, well, as you know, Bailey, already my ex-husband, he's a borderline narcissist personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was a real, it was a real long ride with him. And I, and I hate to say this, but gee, it never ends because um, it's still ongoing. So even though I'm divorced now for quite some time, for years, and even though my youngest child has aged out um this Mm -hmm. borderline narcissist has not stopped uh when my Mm -hmm. children were younger he as you mentioned he didn't he was one of the fathers who he had no interest in um visitation but he dragged me and our children through the court system for about a decade in and out of all kinds of therapists and counseling everything he, he didn't have to be bothered with it. He just had court orders applying to us, and they attempted to try and take my kids. They never physically removed my children from me, um, but, you know, they made attacks with the legal custody to try and – it was all about control, taking away my yeah. ability to run my life. And then uh, – so he attacked first the physical attack. He crushed four discs in my neck basically broke my neck 
And then we went through all the the emotional, then the financial. um, And then I'll tell you what, after the kids aged out and he even attacked us with the financial before the children were aged out, um, then he had my constitutional rights ordered away. Now, this is all about Mm -hmm. control. So for Mm -hmm. any listeners, they should know it doesn't just stop with the financial. It doesn't just stop physical, financial, emotional, these courts will now enable an an abuser to take their victim's rights away. So like my ex-husband, he could file anything in court against me, any kind of petition or suit, but I am ordered out of court, so I don't have the right. I I did not even have the constitutional right to file for child support. And what's really (laughs) dangerous is that the United States Supreme Court only a month ago has has denied me. So this is now maybe the new pattern. So where you see um, a lot of these fathers getting um, custody today when it's not their genuine interest, where they have another agenda to defeat the child support, to take control, to just bully the the mother around, now they're allowing people to take their opposing party's rights away so that you won't even be mm-hmm. permitted to file in the court. And nobody's really recognizing, and it's really a serious thing. Um, it's kind of like, and I'm going to put this analogy there, uh, it could be any group or anything, but just think about a Holocaust. It doesn't have to be the German It could be any type of, think how things start out, with one person, a few people, and by the time anybody pays attention how serious it is, you can't, it's out of control. It you've got all the Nazis, you've got all the minions. I call it Nazi Germany. You've got, the, you got the, the, the judge, the Hitler, mm-hmm. and then you've got all the minions, all the Nazis. Yes. That, that's, and like at the time, I feel we're living in World War Three now. Yes, and yeah. by the time enough people realize, what, like people think, well, you must have done something wrong. It's the same old thing. And they do this. This is the same type of thing when, when you hear about the illegal guardianships um, that go on mm-hmm. Pri- mm-hmm. primarily with seniors, but they use this attack um, in the family mm-hmm. courts, too. They try and take mm-hmm. – uh, it's always a woman, too. I've never heard so far of a man, but it's always a woman where they will try – one of the ways – um, methods they use to try and steal your assets, they put a guardian on you as if you're, you know, an incompetent person incapacitated. Yeah, this they has happened to a lot of people I know. Yeah. Yeah, they'll sign they, they, You don't even have to and sign. Then, they'll they'll yeah, sign, yeah. They sign, mm-hmm. Well, no, basically I'm saying that you don't sign. They sign. They basically uh, remove yeah. all your assets and, and then they take the guardian off and you're left homeless and destitute and broke. Mm-hmm. And this is, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. ha- and, and most, it's always women that that happens to. And most women are ashamed and embarrassed because if they try and tell somebody that this happened, the average person would think there must have been something wrong with you. But no, this is becoming more and more common. And what's really serious is that when things are not uncovered and they remain silent, it it grows and it becomes more prevalent. And then before you know it, by the time enough people recognize it, 
what's going on, it's kind of too late to stop it in its tracks. So I just want to put this out there, you know, for listeners and for anyone. I mean, this narcissistic type of behavior, it is so dangerous. And when I was younger, the label that my parents would use, because they didn't know these fancy labels, they would just say a con man, a charmer. They'd have these, you know, because that's why many women like you and I, we, we marry some guy thinking he's the nicest guy, he's generous, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, until, mm-hmm. until they're finished using you, and then you're yesterday's garbage, mm-hmm. and what's discard, unfortunate discard. is they yeah. don't even care about their own children, most of them. They will just yep. use them, yep. and they'll, they'll be in and out of their yep. kids' lives just when they want to use them. And the, the last point yep. I make is that to I you. hate to say this, I hate to say this, but um, this damage that occurs to these children, it, it's ongoing when these abusers won't get out of yes. everyone's life. So you can mm-hmm. have adult children. It's, even when they're it's out like, of their life, even when they're out mm-hmm. of their life, my son was 12 and a half, 13, went, 12 and a half, 13 when his father finally left the state on probation and I got full custody by default. Um, he's 19 now, and I've been his sole parent. Um, he's the most healthy of all my three boys, but um, there's still abandonment issues. There's still, you know, certain things that pop up. It, and you, and he's getting he's been getting therapy continuous, so it's still there. I hope that eventually, since his brain is not fully developed, he'll he'll grow out of it and he'll be a healthy adult. But Elaine, I'm going to mute you for now. I just want to say very quickly, I don't know, Lisa, if you know the whole Lizzie Weinstein Harving story um, from Westchester Uh, County. She was friends with Catherine, who committed suicide recently. Do you know her story? She, She was the guardian, the whole guardian thing. Um, she, her, her. It's a it, look. Look it up. Lizzie Harding Weinstein, Harding Weinstein story. Um, okay. And she, her, her, insane, insane. What happened to her? But um, he took. He got a guardian and 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 took and took everything away from her. Um, she was locked in jail on it false expertise. I mean, insane. Um, it's happened to a whole bunch of women in Westchester County, New York. Um, and then she was put in a psych ward. And what kept, what kept her, what got her out finally, she kept, she, first of all, she was calling and we, we were putting her on live. Either she'd call on my show, she'd call in, she'd make phone calls, and then people would put her recordings on, out there so that people can look that she's not crazy because then they put her into a psych ward and they were going to dope her up just to keep her quiet. Her stories, it's in some of these stories are so insane. It's like, it's, it's not even funny, but go on. I, I'm sorry. I just didn't want her to keep holding and not let her on for a minute. So continue with your story. Yeah, no. Sorry. No, no. Um, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> good to break it up. Um, so, it, you know, it, the, breaking breaking the trauma bond became my focus because I found it to be the most difficult aspect of 
getting through this, right? That the, I, I could not understand why I wanted someone that I hated, why I would miss someone who made me cry. I could never, I just logically, I'm a very logical, practical person and I could never connect the dots Mm -hmm. of like why this happened. And even though people would say it's a trauma bond and I would read about it and I could logically understand it, I couldn't make it connect in my mind. So it became my focus because I think it's the most devastating and confusing aspect, breaking the trauma Mm -hmm. bond, resolving the cognitive dissonance. So it became my expertise Mm -hmm. out of necessity for myself um, but it's what really launched this into a business. I started talking about it online and people asked to talk to me. And I've been in sales for years. So talking to people is very normal to me um, and not, not so much on the starting a business aspect, um, but working with people and teaching and coaching people, not on this topic, but that's something I've done my whole life. I've been an educator and a teacher mm-hmm. in the sales positions that I've had. So it's sort of just like marry the two. Um, And then when I launched into a formal business, you know, what what do you need to teach? So I wrote a course called the Trauma Bond Recovery Course. I've written now four books, but I started with the Trauma Bond Recovery Journal, which is 12 weeks of reflection. So it's 60 questions, five questions a week, over 12 weeks that ask you through guided steps my 12 steps on, on breaking a trauma bond mm. to get yourself mm-hmm. through all of it and, and get over it. Um, I wrote the journal and the course that go together, and then I later wrote Rebuilding After a Trauma Bond, a self-love journal to kind of help mm-hmm. people that, like, once you break the trauma bond, now what? Because we often still don't recognize ourselves. We feel like our self-worth is just... Mm-hmm. in the trash in so many cases, right? So it's on rebuilding. And since then, I also furthered um, marrying some of my past uh, employment experience into this, which is hosting events. Um, so I host online webinars, and I've hosted them mm-hmm. on a range of topics, you know, co-parenting with a toxic or narcissistic ex, on uh, raising strong and confident kids when you're dealing with mm-hmm. a situation where you're co-parenting with a narcissist and family court can't protect your children, so what do you do when you have to send your children over to this person's house? How do you help your kids cope rather than help yourself cope? Mm-hmm. Um, how to recognize right. and overcome narcissistic abuse. I posted one on sexual coercion, on dating again, on the science behind a trauma bond, on, on healing and regaining sanity. So a, a whole sort of wealth of, of events um, online. And then I recently published two books. Um, one is called Narcissism Unmasked, a survivor's handbook of the common narcissistic abuse tactics. It's got over 125 terms and tactics in sort of a, mm-hmm. a dictionary handbook style of book mm-hmm. that just gives people a really broad but detailed mm-hmm. base of what is abuse versus narcissistic abuse, what is power and control, mm-hmm. you know, what is mm-hmm. DARVO, what is a narcissistic family system, what right. is a loyalty bind, what is enmeshment. So not just the typical, you know, uh, gaslighting, manipulation, those are in there, but it gets really deep. Um, so it gives people the ability to really find clarity and understand it's what educational. happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Right. When I first started writing it, it was truly going to be like a narcissism 101 sort of, um, but it really it developed into something much deeper than that, and I would not describe it as a, as a basic 101. It's not really an introduction. It's sort of a everything you need to know in one place mm-hmm. in terms of 
the names and the language and the things that you'll hear. And then um, the next one is called Surviving to Thriving, a six-step blueprint to narcissistic abuse, healing, and recovery. I started writing this book and I found myself overwhelmed because it was so much that I wanted to include and I wanted it to just be as excellent as I could possibly make it. And I actually enlisted the help of a friend of mine who is Dr. Carrie McAvoy. So she's a psychologist and an author and she has been through a narcissistically abusive relationship. She also wrote another book called Love You More, which is a biography of her story um, mm-hmm. that is a, a really harrowing tale of sex lies, addiction, um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and sex, yeah, sorry, sex addiction and lies. Um, mm-hmm. Her ex was a sociopath as well as a narcissist, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a crazy story. Yep. But she co-authored the book with me. Yep. So this book, Surviving to Thriving, is the six kind of biggest obstacles that survivors of abuse face. And we go over letting go of potential, resolving cognitive dissonance, overcoming fear, beating the guilt, mastering boundaries, and improving self-worth. And it's a workbook, not a journal, but a workbook. So it really gives you the details mm. on how to overcome these things and really how to help yourself through it. So all of these resources I have on my website at strongerthanbefore.ca or if you're on any of my social media platforms, it's uh, in the link in my bio to get access to that. And then I, of course, work with people one-on-one and I coach as well. That's my, that's my story in a nutshell of how I came to be. <laughs> well, it's incredible because, you know, just three and a half years into, you know, so just take a step back. Is he out of the picture, or are you co-parenting? Um, no. Well, it's funny. Can I say no to both? Does that even make sense? So, no, he's not out of the picture, and mm-hmm. no, I'm not totally co-parenting. So, supervised access um, is the stage okay. of the parenting agreement that we are currently in. Um, and to be honest, I I look forward to co-parenting. I mean, I don't look forward to co-parenting because obviously that's going to be horrendous, but I look forward Impossible. to my children having access to a safer version of him if that's ever possible. Cause that's the only way to get out of it's not possible. supervised access. So. Narcissists yeah. uh, cannot change. You cannot love oh, them into changing. Change. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They cannot get back. Look, I, two and a half years, I thought he was going to change. I try, was trying to get him fixed. I after all the horrific stuff he did to me, I still was so trauma bonded that I really tried. And he would lie to the therapists. And at some point they'd call me in and they'd get the bigger picture. And I'd be like, you're a psychotherapist and you didn't, you fell for his shit, his crap. Like I was, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I think some of mm-hmm. these therapists learned about narcissism, narcissism through him because of what I, t- what I was teaching them because I learned about it because I didn't know I was an abused woman until um, he beat me. And I thank God for that beating because it numbed me from ever wanting him back. But I had to be very careful about not telling him that because the, post-separation abuse was so bad that I was scared. The minute I finalize it, finished. I mean, the horrific things. And my book is a show and tell. So there are a lot of the terms, not hundreds, whatever. But 
a lot of the like, like there's certain terms that um, reactive abuse. I just started learning about that now. I didn't even know what that was, but I realized I was having reactive abuse with my kids, and that was recent. Um, you know, the words are popping up all the time. Um, so I didn't even know about that word, but you know, you know the the Trump. I I was so trauma bonded and codependent, and I did not want him back. And I found out so many things that he lived two lives, which is why I called it married to an illusion, because I never really knew this person, this monster. He, the person I thought he, he I married didn't exist. Um, but I wanted people so many different angles because I wanted people to know I want people I wanted people to read and say oh my gosh this is my story but also at the same time teach them so but I how I learned I was an abused woman was I was searching for help and I found I found it in group therapy at a shelter and that's where I started to learn about narcissism and sociopaths. And that's when I started to resonate my life, 20 years of what I had been through that I did not realize. And I know I'm not alone, just like you. Um, I I am thankful he beat me. I'm not thankful that my middle son um, and got cancer because of it, because, you know, kids have trauma. Um and and uh, your, your kids are little, and get them in as much help as they can for as long as you can, so that they can turn into healthy adults. And especially if they have contact with him, they must consistently be in therapy. But my kids were, you know, the youngest was thirteen. Well, well, when it all started, he was about eleven, eleven and about eleven and a half, and the other. One was four years older than that, and one was two years older than that, and that's when it all started. So they were not babies. And when he when he started on me, they would call the police, and then we'd cover for him. And there were times when I came into the house because I could not stay there. He he got control of the house, and they would form a line in between him and me. He wouldn't let they would not let him come near me. That's horrific. That's a war zone. That's child abuse. And, yeah. you know, at the time, I I thought I'm doing my kids a favor by letting, by having him in their lives. In the meantime, you know, I had to forgive myself. I had no choice. You know, I, I, I was trying, because at one point he was a good father to them. Maybe, maybe not the norm or healthy, but he was a father to them and they loved him unconditionally until all of this mm-hmm. blew up in the post-separation. So, you know, you know, nobody can ever judge anybody's situation. You know, nobody can, can, unless you've walked the walk or tied the shoelaces or whatever, whatever quote you want to come, you want to use, you cannot ever judge someone in a situation. Like I, I could think to myself, okay, he beat you. Your son saw it. 
and you still went back, but that trauma bond like is is, is so strong. You know, mm-hmm. and you're lucky that you you knew what that was. I didn't know until I didn't know the word trauma bond until a couple of years ago. You know, um, and when this all started, um, almost seven years ago, narcissists, therapists were just starting to get training on it. Regular psychologists still had no idea about it. They knew about NPD, but they didn't really know so much about narcissism. And so they they just didn't. They They couldn't recognize it. Some of them, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a very was, scary, very. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, it, it's 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 terrifying, and I think not having the language is challenging because you know I see this so much now where people will say, "You shouldn't talk to other people about the abuse, right? Keep keep your relationship problems in your relationship, but Mm-mm. talk to a therapist." Mm-mm. And I always say, mm-hmm. it's interesting that people think, oh, you should just go talk to a therapist when here's two things with that. Well, actually, I'm going to say three things about that. The first is that you don't even know you're being abused. So you're not even thinking you need a therapist, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself magically in therapy, the therapist may not recognize that it's abuse. We all mm-hmm. think that you know therapists mm-hmm. seem to just have all the knowledge, which is just not true. And thirdly, mm-hmm. therapy mm-hmm. is not accessible to everyone. To assume that everyone can afford mm-hmm. therapy and that, you know, even mm-hmm. with the stigmas around, like, you, you're in therapy, it's, it's not easy. So there's so many reasons why that's not what is the, the thing that we can all do. So it's why people yeah. like you, me, other content creators, people who've written books, it's why we are important to the industry of mm-hmm. mental health, not mm-hmm. to take away from licensed mm-hmm. psychotherapists who I respect the hell well, out of. Well, they're learning from us. They're learning but In from many us. cases, they are learning from us. You know, like we forget that we're not just, in my case, you know, I'm not just a coach. I'm a survivor. I've been through it. I've also been through years of therapy and continue to, to seek therapy. But mm-hmm. me too. you can't mm-hmm. just assume that people have the language. And honestly, it's what inspired that book, The Narcissism Unmasked, that I wrote. Because it's like, why should you find out two years later that there's this thing called a trauma bond that you were in and you didn't even know that you were in one? So how can you break it? Mm-hmm. If you, you know, mm-hmm. my, my way you is don't know what it how is. you educate you on what it is and then how to break it, how to get yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. What, what are the steps? What can you do? My mind is sort of, you wake up tomorrow and you do what? what like, tell me what to do. What are the actionable things, you know? So between the journal that I wrote and the course, it teaches you how to educate yourself, how to get the clarity, how to resolve the cognitive dissonance, how to listen to yourself and learn what your unmet needs were. You know, why did you fall for this con? Not from a place of judgment, from a place of understanding and awareness. Because we do have to look at ourselves of what got us here, not to blame ourselves, not to make ourselves feel bad. It's just a question that we need to answer for ourselves. We don't owe anyone else that answer. Right. How to see the red flags, which is very Mm -hmm. hard. If If you have not been through any of this before and uh, you will not you will have a hard you, you will have the hard time recognizing like you just said but like I, when I got into another relationship a couple of years ago um, 
it wasn't a health, wasn't a healthy relationship, but not because he was a narcissist, more because he had childhood um, trauma that he never dealt with, and that that's what connected me to him. I wanted to take care. I wanted to get him help, and you know, I saw my kids in him. He was younger than me, and I saw my kids in him, and you know, again, he was another illusion. And I and I knew he was not healthy for me. And it was on and off for two years. But he actually taught me so much of what I will never take from anybody ever again, which is why I'm saying yes. <laughs> because it's very well, unfortunate that we have so many trauma adults um, mm-hmm. walking. We have, we have so many. And, and not all of them are narcissists. He was not a bad person. He was just very... Um, when whatever he went through made him live his life a certain way that was unhealthy, and um, mm-hmm. you know he'll never change. And he'll if he ever will, I don't think he'll ever have a, a marriage or any or kids. And it's really sad because he's young and he could could if he would have gotten the help. But if you don't see that you need help, then how do you get? If you don't if you don't recognize it or, or admit it to yourself, you're not going to get it. And once your brain is fully developed, I almost think it's a lost cause. So, you know, if you're somebody set in their ways, they're not going to change. And it, it's very sad because, you know, there there are, um, like I always, I'm, I'm glad to see when when other people are able to move forward and heal and move forward and find a good guy um, or a woman um, and, and have a, another relationship. Because sometimes I say to myself, I thought I, I had the perfect love and this and that. They don't know how to love. It was all, it was all a facade. I didn't even know who this person was. How sad that, and I used to always tell my friends that we're getting divorced or whatever, at least I have love, and at least I know what love feels like. It was all scam. And I feel sometimes mm-hmm. I feel sorry for myself. I wonder if I'll ever really truly feel love, you know. And it's sad because I'm not alone. And there are people that just don't really get the proper help and just keep repeating the cycle with another person. And that I refuse to ever do. So what do you think? what do you say about that? So I you? think that dating again is probably one of the most terrifying things after you've been abused because you are wondering if you're the problem, wondering if the next person you meet is going to be another narcissist. How do you trust someone? You're dealing with triggers and you're likely dealing with triggers you didn't even know you had until you start dating. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, the advice like you should heal first. That's not even a thing mm-hmm. in my view. I, I don't, that's, you, you don't It's a long, feel lifelong like, journey. It's lifelong, you know, and lifelong. I, yeah. I, I've often kind of even said this ridiculous story that the first time I started dating someone seriously, I'm not in that relationship anymore, but I remember like he got up to get himself a drink. And when he got to the fridge in my own home, by the way, and he said, um, can I grab you anything? And I was like, um, no, I'm good. 
And then two minutes later, I was like, oh, I want a Diet Coke. So I got up, got myself a Diet Coke, sat down, and he just stared at me and was like, what the hell was that? I just, I just asked you. And I'm like, oh, uh, why didn't I ask you? And I thought, like, ask you. On what planet would I ever ask another person to get me something? Now, where this is coming from, and I'm sure this is relatable, right. imagine asking right. the narcissist for anything. Oh, my God. I would mm. never, ever, because you get berated of you're lazy, you're whatever, you know, at least that was certainly my story. So I'm not going to ask him for something. That's crazy. But I would never have really recognized how much I struggled to ask for help in a romantic partnership if if I hadn't dated Mm -hmm. him. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm pro dating again, cautiously. I'm pro therapy if you can afford it, you know, and try to try to heal and help yourself. Seven years, the same therapist. I met her. I met her at the shelter. She was actually interning and learning about narcissism and domestic violence. And I, be- I believe to this day, she also writes something in my book. Um, I believe to this day that she might have gone through something because she's actually a marriage counselor, but she's so familiar with domestic violence, domestic abuse and narcissism. I, I kind of feel that she had been through a relationship. Um, at one point in her life, but seven, same therapist. I mean, it's a marriage, and um, I don't, I don't have to use see her every week, but um, definitely once a month. I try, if not more, if I need her in emergency or whatever, um, I reach out to her. But I believe therapy is life could be lifelong. Um, healing is definitely a lifelong journey, and. When I would tell her, oh, I'm seeing whatever again, she'd be like, not again. <laughs> and then I'd come back and be like, over. <laughs> you know, but, but again, that relationship, just like you just mentioned, taught me so many things. Um, opened, up, opened my eyes up in it from a different perspective and made me start to see all the signs of somebody that, that wasn't a narcissist, but that has undealt with trauma from childhood that turned him into what he is. To, you know, just recently, I don't know, maybe a year ago, um, we started talking again, and he hasn't changed. And it's like, I've, I'm like up there, and he's still down there, and it's like, Wow. It's 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 freaky, but I'm sorry. Go mm-hmm. on. T- tell me more about um, dating. So relationship. I dated someone. I dated that person for a year. I went on a date before that relationship. It was just horrendous. I, the person wasn't a narcissist. I don't think that they were horrible. It was just a really bad date, which kind of scared me back into not dating for a few more months, and then, um, and then I found a you know a decent relationship, but I didn't end up staying in that one not because he was abusive, but because it just wasn't the one. But I got myself to a place where I wasn't interested in just being with someone. I wanted to be with the right mm-hmm. person. I wanted to be with someone who mm-hmm. made me happy and, and was a better fit. So ultimately that did not work out, and I decided to kind of go back at it and see if I could find someone more mm-hmm. more aligned with me, my values, my views, what I wanted. Um, and now I've been in a relationship for more than a year, and it's wow. it's incredible. It's 
And so I'm wow. you know, maybe one of the lucky I'm jealous. Ones, but, and I mean, you know, on one note, it's only been over a year. So I'm who envious. could say how it'll, how it'll land? But I feel confident in this person. And dating again, you know, I, we, we both have our own triggers, but we talk about it. And it's, it's a way to learn safety. You're not going to learn how to feel mm-hmm. safe protecting yourself and staying alone. But you want to get yourself to a place mm. like from a self-worth perspective, from a self-esteem perspective, where you would rather be alone than be abused. So it's not right. a matter of choosing to be alone forever. It's like I love myself enough that I'm going to fill my life with friends and things that make me happy. And then if I meet someone whether you're on the apps or not, you know, if I meet someone, that's great, but that doesn't, it's not my be all end all. It's okay if I don't, it's okay if I'm alone. Right. Well, I don't want to be alone forever, but I'd rather be alone than be in an unhealthy relationship. And the same goes for women. I've cut literally all Mm -hmm. the people in my life that live down in Florida. Um, because they were unhealthy. Um, not many people will go, stay in therapy for so many years. And mm-hmm. you need to. Unless you, unless you really deal, dig deep and deal with every single thing you've been through from childhood all the way up, um, you're not, you're not going to get better. And I just had to cut, cut the toxicity out. So, yeah, I'm very, I'm very, alone and I'm very isolated and I know it's unhealthy, but again, you know, we have to find the right people to surround ourselves with. So um, we have another caller. I'm going to bring her on very soon, but this is something I wanted to ask you if you, if, mm-hmm. if you've come across, I have found, or I've recognized maybe in the last eight, six, eight, six, eight months, six months, with my therapist that I'm trauma bonded with my kids or specific kids, a a specific kid. Um, And, and there's this on both sides. Um, And that, and, and I realized I was also being re-abused by my kids um, because I, I hadn't set really firm I thought I had set very firm boundaries, but I didn't. Have you ever heard of anybody, um, have, has anybody ever brought that up to you? No, I have not seen that personally with my clients. I know that it is possible to be trauma-bonded to your kids. I have not worked with someone specifically who has experienced that. That sounds so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. Well, that 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 child is getting married, and um, and I have taken a step back. He finally moved out. Um, I I was constantly I was the protective parent, and I was the one that constantly gave them everything, did everything. It was I was. And I didn't put my foot down and say, you're working, you pay for this. Get that room cleaned or I'm not doing this for you. Like I I was not strict enough on the boundaries. But now um, hopefully 
he's not going to move on and be that way with his wife. They're both very young. Um, it, this was not choice for him right now at this stage in his life because he's on his healing journey. He has to get closure from a man, from an evil monster abuser that was his father that's still work, walking this earth but is dead because he was is not the person that any of us ever thought he was. He was an illusion. So that's for children. Like I can't even imagine what it's like for kids um, because especially ones that he was a, a good father at one point or it might have not been the healthiest, but he was a good father. Um, at least we all felt that he was. Um, so they have to get he he has to get closure on that. He has to, I created my own closure. My kids have to mourn the loss of of a person that's still walking this earth that doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, he's doing that. He's working on that. Um, I, and I preferred, you know, that he, you know, really be a good few years into it before, you know, he moved to the stage of his life. But I don't have a say. I have no control. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I definitely have had to, you know, since he's moved out uh, a month, a little more than a month ago, I've kind of like let him live his life, do his thing and and take a step back and and really now the boundaries are easy to set. But um you know, yeah, it's 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 very hard. Um and then and then you know, kids are kids and kids that have been through horrific trauma, you know, they have certain tendencies which is why it's very important for your child who witnessed that stuff, um, not bury it, but deal with it and speak about it. Um, because, and I, and I've made my kids get therapy from the very beginning because I was already starting to get healthy when he was out of the picture. So I was able to them, but it's a it's a cycle, you know. You have the ups and downs, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. you still have triggers, or you know, when we were all in the same house together, me and my three boys. Forget it. We all triggered each other. It was a disaster, you know. So um, I would love for you to you know research on that, um, or you know, find out more about that because. I don't know anybody else that has been that has had that with with any of their children. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't. I've never, definitely, never had a client like that. But I, you know, I, I know a lot of people in this. You may not realize even recovery might, community. Yeah, you're right. I may not realize it. It's not something they're talking to me about. That's at least not why they're seeking me out. But to be fair, I, I very much focus my content, my education on trauma on recovery from intimate partner relationships. I get a lot of people asking me like make make one about narcissistic moms or 
I don't have a narcissistic mom. So I, I in, in fairness to that, even, right. you know, why don't I make more content on female perpetrators of abuse? I've just not been abused by one. It's not that I deny their existence or that I don't think it's important. Right. It's just not my experience. And I think that, you know, like Gucci sells to the wealthy, um, men's right activists, lawyers, right? They sell to mm. men. Um, and my target audience is even mainly female survivors they, of abuse. Even though they're unhealthy, they're extremely unhealthy men, and they're not yeah. getting just a bunch of narcissists, <laughs> sociopathic, psychopathic monsters. But, okay, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. Um, but that's, you know, and we see those guys in the comment sections every day. But, um, yeah, it's 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 tough. <laughs> Um, to, yeah. to explain to people why I don't make that content ar- around other topics. But, I mean, I also don't make topics on child abuse specifically, um, like overall child. I, a little bit obviously talk about how narcissists harm their children, but we talk about what we talk about, the niche that we're in. And my niche right. specifically is right. helping mostly right. women break their trauma bonds. I have male clients, um, and they're uh, they're, un- they're they're definitely abuse victims. You know, you can... You can tell when you're yeah. on mm-hmm. these lengthy mm-hmm. calls with people, really, you know, and I, I see so many men just, like, destroyed by it, as women are also mm-hmm. destroyed. I don't think the experience is different. Mm-hmm. Some people say that it's worse when it's a woman, and I get my little feminist back up when that happens, because mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's worse when it's men. I think it's worse when it's a man. I think what's worse men... is the physical abuse. Well, it's women are more likely... To want to get help and get better, men usually won't talk about it. Come forward and they talk about it and they admit it, and they want to get help from that trauma so they could be better people. I applaud those men because they're not many. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's so true. It's not most are not. Um, but I, I also, I think, you know, th- those of us all, any any gender that have the strength and courage to come forward despite not being believed. Because, again, you know, the myth that, like, men aren't believed yeah. and women are, I don't know what the hell other people's experience has been, but I do not see a lot of women be believed. Define believed, you know. Of course, there's always a handful of friends, as women have friends and men tend not to, like true emotionally connected friends. Um, your friends believe you. But society blame, even if they believe you, they blame you. I'd almost rather not be believed mm. than be blamed for it. It's awful. Um, but arguably, mm. I, would, I would just say that fundamentally, narcissistic abuse is awful, whether it's a man or a woman inflicting it. I think that the physical abuse is, it's not really a subjective opinion, but physical abuse of men, sorry, of women by men is worse in that it's more dangerous. It can right. lead to death. So that's where I definitely think it's worse. But I think what people mean when they say that, they may not even recognize it, is that we don't expect women to be abusive. And it's because of the patriarchy. We expect women to be agreeable and kind and loyal. So when a woman does it, we're more shocked by the behavior. So suddenly, like, that, the shock makes it worse. But it's not worse, in my view. But with women and men, it's more of a, of course, of control versus physical yes it's more yes. women being even though a narcissist 
people will disagree with you on that, right? But I don't well, I don't personally cares? think it's that that facts, is subjective. I agree with you. Yes. Fact, the, fact, it, it always I've is. met many narcissistic women <laughs> who are very abusive and controlling and the man is passive and you know, he takes it or whatever. I'm sure eventually he may snap, who knows? But, you know, it is what it is. But I think the worst form of abuse is um, mind control and manipulation and those the, and the trauma, all those things that are so hard to break away from. Because, again, if you have children who witnessed it, you're, it's, you have to get them fixed, too. You know, and mm-hmm. this is why I got into the whole family court watching, because those poor children that are being handed over to abusers and sexual abusers, um, what future do they do they have? You know, and mm-hmm. that that to me was the most important with my children was for them to be healthy, productive adults. And that's the most scariest part. I mean, my oldest, unfortunately, went, went back to his abuse, our abuser after b- living there two years, coming back here, me giving it, getting him all the help you can imagine again, you know, and then, and then just, you know, um, you know, being manipulated and whatever and, 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 and love bombed and all that kind of stuff. And I know he's not happy. I would not take him back into my home. He's not a baby. He's a young adult. And I did everything I could. I love him. I'll care about him forever. And I wish he would be independent from both of us. And I pray Mm -hmm. every day that that he he get. I know that I did what I could over seven years, most of the time that he was with me. I don't know what else to do. But I'm going to bring on... this caller, I'm not sure who it is. But... Hi, welcome. Hello. Welcome um, I wanted to ask a question about how do you, specifically how does a man, namely myself, for instance, um, go beyond the bond or the trauma that a woman may have so that she can realize that I am her um, um, a good enough man to perhaps be her potential boyfriend. But before I get into that, or before one of you gets into that, I have uh, two other questions. I'm on your description page. You say that your guest is a a relationship, excuse me, is a certified relationship coach. What's the difference between a relationship coach and a relationship counselor? Um, A master's degree. Um, the answer really is, um, you know, and I, uh, counselors, therapists, and, and social workers, um, psychotherapists, psychologists, they have master's degrees and potentially more um, in psychotherapy in more broad areas of mental health and have, in my view, an ability to really dig in a lot deeper into childhood trauma and history where coaches are more action-based, tend to have personal experience in the field that they're coaching in. So depending on what their area of practice is, where mine is specifically on trauma bonds, I have been in one and educate people on specifically how to break trauma bonds. So it's right. You've written therapist. four books. That was in the description page. Now, what you just mm-hmm. finished saying seems contradictory to what I thought 
uh, actually occurred in that a relationship counselor was somebody who was not certified and not um, did not have a degree. And it says in the description page that you are a certified relationship coach. So actually you do have some sort of either academic background or you are recognized by an institute. Am I correct in that? You are correct in that. Um, certification oh, okay. is much less of an education. If, if we're talking formal academic education, it is uh, both less expensive and easier to get. So in, in truth, coaches lean on their, their personal experience in that field mm-hmm. and less so than you know, okay. a four-year master's right. degree on top of a bachelor's degree. Well, counselors don't have degrees. Relationship counselors are the ones that usually pop up on blog talk radio. None of them have a degree. None of them are certified. And um, those that I pointed out to um, say they got mad at me. But um, um, so I'll just leave it at that. The other, the other thing that some, I think it was you who had said about a few minutes ago that uh, as a result of the patriarchy, women are not believed. They are believed, but, not, but they are blamed as a result of the patriarchy. Um, is it, it seems to me as though you're pointing the finger again at men in some ways being responsible <clears throat> for women who have been held accountable for being narcissistic. Somehow men are to blame for their being, uh, for the women being either narcissistically inclined or having been caught being a narcissist. Um, but maybe I misinterpreted that. What is it that you meant as a result of the patriarchy? Women are believed, but are still blamed. Uh, female victims of abuse are blamed for being abused by a man. Now, when I say the patriarchy, I think I have to admit I always find it kind of interesting that men hear the word patriarchy and hear men when the patriarchy is a systemic system that puts men above women but is not only upheld by men. It is upheld by every single member of society, men and women, people of all races. So I think that the first step would be in not interpreting the word patriarchy to mean something that wasn't said. So it's not men. It's a systemic power dynamic that unequivocally exists in the world. I know it's something that um, some men like to debate, but it's, it's not something that I would participate in debating. It's, it's reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're saying it's not <laughs> putting men above above women um, in what way? This is the part of the conversation I, I just you, won't do. I'm not going to debate the existence of right. the patriarchy. Uh, uh, it's just, just not say, something I would be say, doing. In, all right, in, all right, okay. In, in so here's the other question I have. Here's the other thing. I wanted to find out how a woman who was who has been traumatized and seems to me as though almost every woman in America has been traumatized in some way, to some degree or another, how does a man break through that trauma bond or that trauma, traumatic experience in order to let her know that this man is a good man? Well, by being, the first step really is in being emotionally safe um, and authentic in interactions and kind of going at her pace. Um, something that is 
upsetting to many women is feeling as though you have a friend in someone who may not disclose their interest, right, meaning romantic interest. So it's sort of um, misleading for someone, and it, that can be a kind of a breach of trust if she feels like she has a friend and this friend is only waiting and, and interested in her romantically. So if she were to ever say, you know what, I'm actually not interested, and then you say, well, I'm not interested in a friendship, that would be re-traumatizing her in many ways. But ultimately it's about being emotionally safe and, and listening, being there for her. Um, if she's currently in a trauma bond, that's mm-hmm. tough. And mm-hmm. that, that work, that healing is very much a solo act. Like she shouldn't be in a romantic relationship if she's trauma bonded to someone else. That wouldn't, I wouldn't even recommend, I mean, forget her for a moment. I wouldn't recommend that for you. I wouldn't want you to be in that situation where you're investing energy in someone who's experiencing a psychological phenomenon like a trauma bond. Okay, and trauma bond would be... Maybe I can give a very short definition. Uh, The trauma bond is somebody who is... Who is attached to a person, doesn't want to let that person go, who's in an unhealthy relationship as a result of the trauma that's being produced in the relationship as opposed to being in a healthy relationship. Is that a nice, short enough definition? Yeah, it is. I would add, you know, my own, well, actually, I'm not sure that I wrote this, but the definition that I work with is it's an emotional attachment that exists in a relationship where there's a mixture of abuse, devaluation, and kindness and positive reinforcement. So the abuser switches and, and it creates an addictiveness based on um, the chemical, you know, dopamine, serotonin, serotonin. Uh, cortisol, yeah. et cetera. So, you, yeah, and, and you, you become physically and emotionally addicted to the cycle of good and bad. And, you know, from the outside of it, you look at this person and you think, oh, my God, they're horrible to you so often. Why would you stay? But you become addicted to hoping for the good. So they're just, they're, they're very resistant to change and very hard to break. So a person who's in one needs to solo or with ideally with a therapist or a coach or a counselor, um, work through what's keeping them there and how to get out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up that part about uh, the narcissist being able to switch up between being the Dr. Jekyll and the Mrs. Hyde. Um, yeah, I've told people. Yeah, I've told people that I can't prescribe the antidote for um, you know for a person who's in a bad relationship, or I can't provide the perfect uh, recipe to have a, a good perfect relationship. But I do know how to prescribe how not to be in an unhealthy one. And one of you was talking about boundaries before. And mm-hmm. uh, I've told people, you've got to have boundaries. You have, you should take out a piece of paper, um, either before you get into a relationship or if you're in a relationship, and you put down what you like about each other, what you dislike, what your expectations are, and your boundaries. And if that other person who agrees to these boundaries steps and via steps over those boundaries violates those boundaries then in my opinion then that person was either very traumatized or a liar and when those boundaries have been crossed you no matter how painful it might be you say hasta la vista because that person is going to continue stepping over those boundaries and continue to violate your particular rights as a human being because you're allowing it so that's what i recommend 
be clinical. Take out that piece of paper, and you and you put down this. I like this about you. I dislike this about you. These are the situations that I don't want to be in with you. This this is how I like to resolve conflict, and you do that, and you and you talk about it, and then you it becomes a mutual agreement. So again. I wouldn't know how to make a person get into a relationship that's overly, not overly healthy, but very healthy, um, because people have their own backgrounds and their own mindsets. But if a person says, I've got these boundaries, do you agree? And that person says yes, and they violate them, you know when to get out. Sounds very good. Sounds very smart. Anything else? For Lisa? No. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. Okay, back to you, Lisa. I'm sorry, when um, I'm on alone and this, when I'm on here alone, it's whatever. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, that speechless a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, I think before that, you know, talking about just moving on and dating again, I think even this gentleman, you know, talking about dating someone who has experienced that trauma, um, really being cautious on who you're dating and ensuring that that person has even the most basic understanding of abusive relationships and why people stay. I think perhaps that caller was a good example of someone who's um, uninformed and may not be the healthiest choice to date at right. at this time, you know, until you're further out. Um, and hopefully the people that you surround yourself with, the, the journey that is healing and, you know, you lose friends and you make right. friends, but you surround yourself with people who get it. Um, and if they don't understand in, insofar as, you know, narcissistic abuse is highly confusing to understand, um, but a person who at the mm-hmm. very least understands that they don't understand and still provides compassion and a listening ear and no judgment on oversimplifying what it might be to leave a relationship like this. Right. So, you know, it's, you know, if you're on dating apps, you know, when I, when I see, you know, guys right in their, their profile, um, not interested in drama I mean, seriously, you know, like everybody has, whoever lives a life without any drama in their life, wow, good for you. (laughs) Everybody has something, right? Most people have something Uh in their life. Um, You know, those those are the ones that that get swiped left very quickly. But, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a I'm I'm an empath. I'm a giver. I'm a fixer, and those I, I attract the kind of men or you know whatever guys that um, need fixing, which which I have to stop doing. Which again, which is why I've taken a step back from all of it. But I I see it in just in their profile. I see flags. Or two minutes of, mm-hmm. of conversing. I mean, those red flags are popping up all over, and it's it's sad because how else do you meet people? 
Yeah, it's true. The you apps know? seem to be the place to do it, even though the apps are terrifying. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm lucky I haven't had any really crazy experiences, like really bad experiences. But, you know, um, I just haven't done it in a long time because it's, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm catfished all the time. And I think I know oh, yeah. who does it. You won't even go there. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Mm-hmm. The hot, if if, if I have all these hot hot models liking me and matching me, I start to get suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I would say there's reason or cause for that for sure. <laughs> yeah, but um. Wow. So any we have a couple of minutes left. Any last minute um. I mean, we have about five minutes left. Any final things to tell people or to, you know, advice? Um, You know, I think ultimately um, if you find yourself in a toxic or abusive relationship and you or, or if you feel like something's off, right? I deal with a lot of people, oh, like we've been talking okay. about, that don't have the language, that don't know. If you feel like something's off, trust your gut and start learning mm-hmm. and, and even just Googling, like, why do I feel off in this relationship? Why do I feel, like, addicted to the person? Why do I feel – just ask Google whatever questions you have. It's how a lot of people stumble upon, you know, Instagram reels that have – you know, descriptions and and TikToks and YouTube shorts and all that that explain what you're going through. It's how you end up learning and being able to get yourself out. So just start asking questions and trusting your gut as much as possible. Once you realize if you're in a trauma bond, or again, if you are not sure if you're in one, I have a quiz on my website, strongerthanbefore.ca. And under freebies, you can get a quiz called Am I Trauma Bonded? And Start the process of just learning what is happening to you and labeling things and starting to live in reality and recognize the behaviors because that's really the first step to breaking a trauma bond. Right. And, you know, even before you begin dating, um, you know, learn what's okay and what's not okay in relationships. You know, read, read up on it before you go to college, you know, so that or, you know, away from home or what, whatever, you know, start learning. You know, I, I had um, um, Teen Violence Awareness Month. I had um, my youngest son's first ex-girlfriend on with a bunch of her friends. Um, and they're in college and they're in, you know, one of those clubs, what it's called. And, you know, we were talking about healthy relationships and non-healthy relationships. I mean, these kids are starting to date at 13, 14 years old. I was still playing with dolls at that age. Um, you know, it's like, you know, they were they were, they were were saying there's just girls and guys out there at young ages doing crazy things. And, you know, why? You know, for guys, we know. But for girls, why? You know, it's why do they have that need to get attention? You know, um, and then and then 
and then, you know, learn, learn signs of things that are okay and not okay, you know, because it, you can be in, in, in a teenage relationship or young adult relationship and there are red flags all over the place and start now there's so much education. So these kids are lucky. They they have it at, at they're on, on their phone. Learn all that they can so that, you know, if they're unhealthy, they can recognize it if and, and get help. If, if they meet people, friends, girlfriends, guy friends, relationships, they'll they'll start recognizing the red flags, and you know read up on it. They have the information that we didn't have. You know, I I had asked my mother, you know, how come we never talked about abuse and stuff like that? And her mom was very abusive, but not, nobody recognized it as abuse. We we thought she was crazy. You know, we didn't know she was an abuser, abusive person. And, you know, some, my mom never really, you know, we never talked about abuse. And, you know, like, and I write this in my book. I mean, the TV shows that I watched were like the Brady Bunch and, you know, the Golden Girls. I mean, there wasn't abuse on those shows. You didn't have social media to learn it from. So, you know, and like like you said, you know, people look at abuse as, as physical and the uh-huh. verbal, mental, emotional, financial, sexual, I mean, the coercive control is the worst form of abuse because it's the hardest to get past and to get over. And the trauma bond comes along with that um, because then it's just, we keep repeating those vicious cycles. Uh-huh. So... I, I think that the younger generation have are lucky because they have so much at their hands, you know, um, of of information. Yeah, so. it's absolutely true. The younger we learn this, the better. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lisa, I thank you so much for being on my show tonight time. I know you're very busy guys. You must check out on, I put your website on, on the show and all your different things, coaching things, but on your website, it has all your social media. Yes. Lisa on my website, um, stronger than before.ca. If you go there, you will find access to my Instagram, my YouTube, my Facebook. I also have a private Facebook group uh, for victims and survivors, as well as my TikTok, my books, my course, my webinars that we talked about earlier. Um, so you can check out all of the resources. I also have a lot of freebies that people can download as well on, on varying topics. So check that out. So, and you guys must, must watch her Instagram um, reels, whatever you, whatever you call them. She's just so normal and just will be in the bathroom doing her hair, doing the makeup, whatever, and just talking. And that's what attracted me to to continue watching you. And um, you just seemed very reachable and very real. And so people check out her website. It is linked to my show. Um, and 
again, Lisa, thank you for being on. And I'd love to get feedback once you finish my book. It's it's a tough read. It's triggering. I'm sure it would will be triggering for you. But and I'm sure a lot of a lot of it you know you know you you will be able to relate to and you already know. But I'd love to hear feedback on it. And I will definitely check out your workbooks. Um, I think that would be helpful for me. Um, again, thank you so much um, for joining me tonight and to all my guests for being on. I'm going to close up the show now. So um, thank you again. I hope we can stay in touch. Um, Absolutely. Um, for all of you out there, um, again, I will post the show in a little, just a little bit on my website, thenevergetshow.com. You click on Buzzsprouts or any of the platforms that the show is uploaded to. It's also on SoundCloud. I will post that link wherever I posted the show. Um, and check out my book, Married to an Illusion, A Survivor's Guide to Identifying and Escaping Narcissistic Abuse. Check out all of, I, I don't, I can't even remember all the things that she did, but her four books, workbooks, her website is on, again, the link is on wherever I posted the show and watch her TikToks, her reels. Um, she's awesome. And again, thank you for being all my callers, my listeners, for being here tonight. I hope you all walked away learning something, um, taking something away from the show. And remember to never, ever give up. Have a great night. You Right to fight and to never surrender.